Meister has a little chat with Strachan. Well, they couldn't agree, obviously. Strachan plays it in. The header finds the net. And Aberdeen are back in the match once more. Alec McLeish. Alec McLeish gives Aberdeen a chance. What a great goal it was. Now, just watch this free kick. And if you think for one minute that Strachan and McMaster were in any kind of confusion, you're wrong. They were doing this quite deliberately with a carefully rehearsed piece of tomfoolery to deceive the German defence. And it worked. Strachan went back, took the free kick, but please stretch those neck muscles, and Muller couldn't keep it out. <laughs> To the latest of our interviews here on By the Minute Aberdeen with some of those who have graced Petaudry in years gone by. Now, our guest today is John McMaster, who signed for the club way back in 1972. And as 14 years with the Dons, John won two league titles, three Scottish Cups, the Super Cup, and was part of that legendary Gothenburg side. Now, we'll cover all that and more in the next 75 minutes as John talks with obvious pride and affection for the club. Hope you enjoy it. John, thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to it, Richard. Well, let's start right at the start, shall we, John? I mean, let's go back to your very earliest football memories. What would they be? Well, what would be up in the, in the scheme? A place called Gibbs Hill. And school. We played, oh, oh, every day we played football. Whether it was with a bus ball or a, a really good ball, somebody must have stole from somewhere. <laughs> Uh, or you were kicking a can but from the moment you got up in the morning to the moment you went to bed at night you were playing football especially in the summer you know there was always football and then other things involved that as well so mainly I, I, I learned all my, my positional stuff in primary school you got all that ironed out and then through secondary you kind of picked up on things so the, the, the actual art teacher who took the, the teams was called Mr Allen Dave Allen, believe it or not, and uh, he actually was a big, he had a big say in how I went about getting involved in football because he made me captain and I was his favourite and, and I stuck by him as well, you know, so I can remember them days, you know, he's, he put me in the right road and he kept me right. So that was playing it and yeah, as a kid, you're all, that's what it's about, isn't it? You play and you play and you play, but were there any World Cups that stand out, any posters on your wall? I mean, who, who did you model your game after? Watching the Scotland England game, the thing they, 
we went three to in backs that was outstanding, you know. And that, that was a big, that left a big impression on me when I seen that. You know, with the feeling and the way the fans went about things as well and <laughs> how much it meant to them, you know what I mean? Well, instead of signing for Morton, you were actually plucked from their grasp by Aberdeen's pretty formidable scouting system at the time down in uh, the West Coast. It wasn't actually Bobby Calder who uh, spotted you, but it was him that was uh, responsible for getting the signature on the dotted line of your mother. Um, he was quite famous for making sure that uh, the mums and uh, the mums were well looked after in particular. Is there any story about, uh, about when you actually signed for the Dons? Or? Yes, it was. Uh, I'd actually been in trial with Leicester City. Another two of my teammates were, when I was with the Port Rovers, for Glasgow Rovers, boys' club. And he went down to Leicester for two weeks. But they'd already been up to Aberdeen and Aberdeen seen it was going down to Leicester and Bobby Calder says to me, look, we want to sign you. And I says, well, what would I do about Leicester? He says, just go down and see what like it is. And then when I came back up, he was up that Sunday. And they couldn't find me. I was away playing football. <laughs> <laughs> this is when I was 16, 17. So I was away playing football in another street or a park in, in the area I lived, which was called Kids Hill. Quite a tourist place, not. <laughs> so, uh, my mum, he took us all over Gibson looking for us, and Bobby was always a dapper wee guy, with a soft hat and a bit of a house too, you know, well dressed. But with him was John McNabb, who actually, he done the business. John was a scout, the scouted myself, and I, and I didn't realise it was Big Alec McLeish as well. Mm-hmm. He'd watched Big Alec as well, so John. John was the main man for me, you know, he was a local scout, you know, and I used to meet up with John after I signed with Aberdeen in the local uh, restaurant, and they'd talk away and he'd always make sure he'd look after your money and listen to what's getting told, and you know, so he was always giving you good advice even after sending you up there, so, and now I'm a scout myself, you know, and yeah. I can remember the, how he went about his business, he, he didn't stick his face in front of everyone, he was always away away from the area and wanted to see nobody wanted, he didn't want any distractions, you know, but he was a terrific terrific old guy, you know uh, a, a lot of things for him a lot of respect and big thanks for him as well Of course the big wrench I, I, I kind of ask this of everybody we've had on, but you're 16 years old 17 years old, and you haven't to make that move away from home it must have been quite a wrench for you well, it was, I didn't know where Aberdeen was Richard, me and Bobby Stephen up it, it, that was that was a, the way it was, you know. They took two team, two players for the one team, and I think all the clubs done that just to keep, keep you know the ball right because they knew at least somebody, and we were up there, and we were well looked after. It was fantastic, to be honest with you. Teddy Scott was excellent. He he was brilliant with the kids, and I was with the reserves at the time. That, that's well, but now mate, you went from under 16s football to the reserves football, and we done really well the first couple of weeks. And it was the end of the season, so it was only about February we went up and treated a big, big impact. He, he got in the first team within about six months. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Bonson was the manager at the time. But what we called her had promised us, well, promised me, £80 signing on. And I was an apprentice plumber at the time in the, in the shipyards. It was my first year. I was, I was earning £4.50 a week or something. And uh, he, he offered us £50, £12. A week, so he trebled my wages with him, just talking to me. This is when I met him in Gibbs Hill. But when I'm up to see Jimmy Bonesong to sign on for sure, 
He says, I have Bobby off of the 80 pound. He says, that's right. Mr. Bonsoni, I was nervous as hell. He says, we're in his office and Jimmy Bonsoni's a gentleman. He says, well, we're going to give you a hundred pound, John. A hundred pound? Unbelievable. So, <laughs> so uh, and also we're going to bump your pages up to twenty pound. How's that? I says, I'm happy <laughs> So, it was really, really good the way they went about it. And then, the things that we got was fine, because our daddy stayed with the street and they just wanted to get in with football and prove that we could you know, do the business. And to an extent, we were very successful the first year. Robert was even more because he was on the first team more than often. After a year, I struggled. And Jimmy Bond through and says, Look, John, you're working hard through the week, Monday to Friday in training. You're not going to game at the weekend. He says, We're going to put you out of Peter Head. And I says, Where the hell's Peter Head? He <laughs> says, Another 36 miles further north. <laughs> so it's the best thing that ever happened to me because it, it sailed me for the, the rest of my life. I was just stopping home at that time. I was going home every week. Uh, I ended up with just going home once a week. Ended up till low score playing outside left. And the chairman, Robbie Warrender, would, he, he would give us a fiver a week. My digs was a fiver a week, so I was uh, well looked after as far as that goes. And the chairman and the, the people, Peter Ed, couldn't do any better for me. You know, they were a great bunch of boys. Loved it. It made me grow up really quick, learn quick as well. It would be a tough learning ground, I would have said. A lot of streetwise yes. folk playing in that league for a young guy like yourself. Decent standard of football. Back in the day, absolutely. Then you did the derby with the block, you know, Fraserburgh. I was training all week and I knew I was going to game. I wasn't cocky because the boys before us would be telling us about the opposition. He says, watch this fullback, John. He says, we'll take you out again. And I was a wee bit quicker. Well, in thought. So I never knew. But I got a few dodgy ones, you know. Absolutely. If you signed in 1972, uh, the season on loan at Peterhead, it was August 74, still under Jamie mm-hmm. Bonthorne, in a League Cup group stage match at Butaudry against Dunfermline, that you made your debut coming on as a sub. Have you got any recollection of this? I know some guys are very, very good with remembering specific games, but uh, how, how are you, John? Do you remember that debut? I can't remember whatsoever, but I can remember getting told by George Murray... Mm-hmm. Another game, and, and I thought it was at Tynecastle on the, my debut. That was a week after. Obviously, uh, I'm blanked out with the Dunfermline man, and I shouldn't be. <laughs> the, the biggest one I remember was the crowd at the, the old Hart Stadium. Yeah. You know, and George Murray says to me, John, go and get a warm up <coughs> at half time. And I'm the only idiot who's in the park being a, a warm up. <laughs> and it was the quickest warm up I ever got. <laughs> So I just went on, I was so nervous to get back on again. But I'd done well, eventually I'd done okay. And then once I was on there and got a touch of the boss, you feel better, you know. Of course, yeah. But I, I was, oh, it's just one of them moments that it just goes back dead quick and too quick. Because everything's happened that fast, you know. So it was, it was great, you know, it was a great time. And, and you kind of reached a milestone that you became a first team player then. And then you get a wee bit more respect, you know, because we worked hard to get there. The boys were great with us, you know. Well, that, that, that was our target, was to get into the first team. And then become a first team regular, and that was the target, and then win things, you know. That, that's it in football. So it was great to get that opportunity so early, because you're right, it was only about two years. And, and that's quite quick, you know, and I never realised that, you know. 
Well, that first season, uh, 74-75, a few sub-appearances. Proper breakthrough comes the following season, uh, in season 75-76. Now, it coincided with the first season in the new Premier League format, down to a 10-team top division. And the team itself as a whole did struggle quite a bit that season. But uh, I take it you still look back in that year quite fondly, John. Yeah, yeah, that was a rough problem, to be honest with you. And the manager, I felt, inherited the team from uh, Eddie Turnbull. Because the manager was the assistant manager. And he, and it was a difficult one to do for Mr. Bonstrom, to inherit the players that he used to coach. Because it's difficult bridging that gap, you know, for him to say, you're not playing today and you're making decisions instead of just coaching it. But I knew, I was comfortable. I knew, looking back now, I knew I was as good as anybody he had, apart from, the, I would say, Stephen Murray in midfield and Sultan Varga. So I, I, I knew I'd keep in there, but Joe Smith was a bigger player as well. And John Craig was in the reserves at the time, so I had good competition in both teams. And I knew what sort of level I could get to, you know. So, but at that time I was playing wide left in the floor, and uh, Ian Taylor was there, and he bet the more than... I think what was uh, Ian Purdy, you know, they, they, they were doing okay, but, but later on in life I looked at it, I said, I was there, man. And I worked hard on training as well, you know. So uh, that came as a bit of a shock, not to get as many games. Because I thought, personally, I, I had the confidence in myself to go and, and compete against them in training. But at the end of the day, I wasn't getting picked enough for my sake, you know, but I was only a boy at the time, so I didn't. spoken already about starting out as uh, outside left, but really I guess you're most known for playing a more central midfield role, and obviously I guess your, your most famous game, a single game for the Dons, was actually playing at left back, but how, how easy did you find that switch from, from playing wide, where speed and pace were probably more important, to, to the middle of the park, where it was, it was probably a tougher environment? The way I look at it is, you don't get time to think. So you've got to really think, like, you know, you've got to play one, two touch or get the ball at least early or get a good shoot. If you get caught in possession, you put your team in danger because mm-hmm. they're onto their defenders. So you're, you're the first point of their defence. They get by you, the defence is uh, in trouble. But playing wide left, you kind of read the adverts, so you do, Richard. You know, that's the way I looked at it. It's because you don't get the ball all the time, or not so much. When I played left back, it wasn't through choice, it was just through because Sir Alec actually had said, look, after your injury, we're going to play your left back because you've not got the pace and you've not got the mobility to get about again because of your, your injury. It wasn't the quickest anyway, but had a good football brain and had a good touch and some vision as well. And uh, he used that as well and it opened up the whole game for me because I had plenty of time to actually pick passes and do the long ball, the diagonal, or the short ball, or just give it to Peter Weir or Ian Scanlon. I had great people in front of me as well when I played in the first team. And to be honest with you, it was Billy McNeil that more or less gave us my, my solid start as a centre midfielder. They'd sold after half a grand for 40 grand. 
to Leeds United and he says to me once he'd done it he says look John I'm going to tell you the side left he says I'm a boss I'm on the side left he says I know that he says but give me a wee bit of time we're working on a player he's a couple of weeks we'll get you in the centre midfield and then I joined in after two weeks they brought in Ian Scannell Ian Scannell was fantastic for us Steve Ritchie played left back I, I was moved in the centre mid by Andy Watson and Ian Scannell came in and uh, what a good left side that was you know so anybody who's a winner in Pataudry in either side all the fans just see they just want to get up your wing <laughs> go and take one defenders and I can remember Ian Scanlon arguing with him one day he says I'm not playing wide I'm playing a different kind of formation the boss this is fair he's talking about right? the boss is says to me be withdrawn it's a more 4 4 two. He's, he's he's actually describing <laughs> the tactical way though and the stand is just not even interested he's going on up in the park and I'm saying Scan he says the game's happening here he says that's how it goes that's how it goes Joe. <laughs> Rewind a bit. We spoke. Uh, we spoke about Billy McNeil, who we'll come back to in a minute. But let's rewind uh, to Ali McLeod's era because he obviously replaced Jimmy Bontone as a result of that the struggles really in that first Premier League season. And he rejigged the side. Um, you were in and out. I think it's fair to say under Ali McLeod, and you actually missed the run to the League Cup final in 1976. Was that a tough one for you to take, given that you kind of probably felt that you you were a first team player by that point? Well. Uh, yeah, looking back on it, it was really, really hurtful. And, uh, and I knew myself, I should have been in the squad. And it was between me and George Campbell. And it's not George Campbell's fault, you know. George Campbell is the same as me. He's probably looked on and he says, well, I, I, you know, I could have been playing in it as well. But he only had to take 16. I played in about four or five of the, the section games, leading up to the actual the cup final. Mm-hmm. But I never played in the quarters, I never played in the semis, because Drew Jarvey played in it. He was a pivotal player for the team Drew was he, he would always snatch a goal and he was a really good player a good professional Drew I learned a lot of a Drew you know, like then, you know and uh, Joe Smith was just sitting in midfield pinging all over they had a good balance here Gene Tom Sullivan Stuart Kennedy the bad you know and Paul Garner Willie Nord they had a solid team you know they had a good team why is it came through it was basically all used when you hang about it and well, there's a lot of youth team players can shoot Bobby Clark and goal, you know, so well, it was actually decent and they've done well. Ali, Ali just rejuvenated the whole city and he, he kicked it off. He kicked the, the actual, I would say, the start of winning trophies and becoming winners. He kicked that back off again because we were, we were happy to get to semi-finals and finals, but lose them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Billy McNeil came on and, and he inherited the uh, Ali's team and he, he tweaked a couple here and there, got two or three players in, got a couple of youths in. He, he actually bodied Big Alec, 
and fish as well. So he says, then he came up here, he says, what well, outside this is, you know, because he knew we had, he knew we had talent, but Ali had to go because he, he gets out of Scotland. And uh, it was a fantastic achievement while we'd done in the 18 months he was there. But Ali was totally different from other managers. Ali would, would make training interesting. You know, he would be having a nine-a-side game in the car park and he would put hurdles in one half and hurdles in the other half and he would just a white ball and a, and a brown ball and you can only pass the white ball forward but the brown ball's got to go square and then back <laughs> and then you had to jump over the hurdle and then you had to go over, under the hurdle and if you didn't do it it would be a penalty you know it was it was manic it was fun but at the same time it was alley because you got away with it you know and you'd come up with uh, half time or if, the, or if you won the toss you'd say right three men on the right side and we'll just get the ball into the left back uh, and we'll just punt in that area and we'll get us up the park and we'll gain some ground we'll get a throw in and we'll be in their half, you know. So he was way ahead of himself as far as these things can go to get advantages on other people, you know. And he was always he was always one for the table tennis and doing the snooker because he was quite talented that way, Ali, as well. And uh, he would always be playing the boys and competing. He was, he was a competitor, you know. And he tried to get his team that way as well, you know. And, and they got the whole... Got the whole bloody old town, got the whole city, got them running, talking about Aberdeen. And they done well for the club, and they done well for the city as well. As you say, in summer 1977, he got the call, which he couldn't turn down to move to Scotland. And um, former Celtic legend Billy McNeil, uh, who had been Clyde manager at the time, was brought in to replace him. And uh, it turned out you were the first uh, first team player at the meeting. Correct, hi. The same was with Sir Alec. Funny, I was doing a wee bit extra, which I always did. I always wanted to be quicker, but was never going to be. But when you get it in the mind, you do wee shuttle runs and stuff like that after training or do a wee bit extra, and the boys are away, you know, and you're always working, you always believe in your ability and your strength, and if your fitness is good, more or less you're halfway there. And I'd met Billy McNeil he, when he came up and shook my hand. He was great, you know, talking away. Him and John Clark was there. And the two of them were brand new. And, but before they come up, well, this is after they'd left, John Clark says to me, he says, I told Big Billy about you, he says, I've seen you in the reserve zone. He says, keep an eye on the boy McMaster. He says, he's a decent player. So obviously Billy must have trusted John Clark, you know. And the two of them were great for my career. They, they believed in me. They put the arm in and uh, even played his wide left and I got away with it for a couple of games. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 I never got away with getting lambasted, don't get us wrong, <laughs> don't get spotted. But he, he eventually was, was good to his work and he knew where, he knew where my strengths lied and that was in the centre mid. And he played me there and I think we went on a run about 24 games. The Rangers, we were running away with the league. The big Billy had a, a great run in the team. They've got Steve Ritchie and Scannon. They've got an R couple of boys, but they, they beat Joe up front and like, banging goals in with things. Stevie Archibald, they, they get Stevie Archibald in. You got the Strachan in. Yep. What a team. What a team it was. And Archibald could play anywhere. You know, what a player he was. And the wee man was, he, he struggled to get in the team because Don was there and, and, and Gordon struggled before him. And big Billy thought it was a, and get the wrong Gordon Strachan. <laughs> so, but obviously the wee man came through with that. We got to the final of the Scottish Cup. I think we were semi-finalists in the league. Cup and we were runners up in the league. We 
my biggest uh, disappointment from that season was we took Rangers the whole the whole way, and Rangers they were about ten or twelve points ahead, and we took it down to maybe two or three, I think. And that was at the time it was two points a game. But we got to the Scottish Cup final. Everything just overtook me totally. The looking at as we went out and looking up at a family, my three boys and the, my wife, and it just passed me by and I froze. Mm-hmm. I just didn't compete. I got off the part and I said to myself, I'm better than that. And I'm saying to myself, well, I got an opportunity in the half cup final. But funny enough, Robert Street came up to me and he says, Johnny, he says, that's what they call me sometimes, Johnny, you know, he says, he says, you're a legend in the club. I says, what do you mean I'm not a legend in the club? He says, you're in the Scottish Cup final. He says, Fine. I mean, I says, Robert, you become a legend when you win cups and you win leagues, you don't become a legend for getting beat. I didn't class myself as a legend because, well, that was a big disappointment for me, simply because I knew I never really performed to the capabilities I could. And that was... That was a hard one to take, but Big Billy and John Clark went after that yeah. because they get shot for selfie. And then, then the man came in, and funny enough, I met him first as well, doing the same thing on the track. And <laughs> it's ironic that, but, but that's the way it happened, and he, he seen what I had, and he, he, he kept the squad, he inherited a great squad, got rid of the players that he, he, he didn't need through time. And built his own team and built the youth. And the rest is more or less uh, history. <laughs> Glorious history. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk through some of the key moments in that in the next few minutes. But um, what did you actually think? And what did the play- dressing room think of the club's decision to appoint this young upstart, recently sacked by St Mirren manager, to replace a guy like Billy McNeil? Were they a bit surprised? Well, we were still in shock with Billy. From a personal <laughs> point of view... I didn't want Billy McNeil to go because Billy McNeil was my mentor. You know, you have all that all over players and managers, you know, having that bond. And, and, and I felt I had that. And, and he had his back and uh, he, would, he, he would let me know I was uh, not doing the business. But Fergie was something similar to Billy. You know, the two of them were winners. And uh, he came up and, and the boss had come up and they said he uh, really liked most of the players. And it trained me most of it, but it took his time to bed in what he needed to do. Get rid of the players that he had to get rid of. And bring in boys and bring in youths and, and bring in the players that he wanted in. I think there was one thing that he did, he did do, which the players was, was really annoyed with. At one stage, he, he would be talking the training. Just, I don't know whether it was just to wind us all up. But he'd be talking about Tony Fitzpatrick being a better midfielder. Frank McGarvey being this and... Billy Stark being that and you know I think it was Jackie even the St Mirren boys against yeah. the Aberdeen boys you know it was Jackie I mean, Copeland that I, really wound Willie Miller up I think <laughs> I, uh, he'd, he'd be comparing it and we were like, huh? he just came for the championship we were in the premiership we were never we've played St Mirren we've done it like a corner against us and he's talking about these guys being better than us and it was beginning to really we were beginning to get really annoyed about this and uh, it wasn't until Stuart Kennedy, who'd been a player with him at Falkirk, and Fergie was a coach at Falkirk, and he promoted Stuart. And him and Stuart had a wee bond there as well, and Stuart could approach him. And, and I hadn't seen him. He says, boss, and he stopped talking about some numb. He says, hey, what's wrong? He thought it was a wind-up, it was a carry-on, you know, it was a week you get in football, right? 
Then all of a sudden, he, he took it on board, you know. He says, that's fine, okay, no problem. Because he was losing the testament at that time, you know. Mm -hmm. He says, they're all, they're all in there, right? <laughs> you don't pay these guys, you know. Okay, but that was one thing the boss was good at. He would listen. If he felt it would benefit a team and him, he would listen. And possibly because Stuart, because of who Stuart was and where he came from and how he knew him, you know, and they trusted him. And never heard anything about it again after that. And we moved on, you know, and that was it. That's one of the few things that probably goes against the public image of uh, Alex Ferguson, isn't it? The fact that he would actually listen. It wasn't just uh, a totally abrasive style of management. Absolutely, it could be brought out, but it wasn't always like that. He had, he had always a captain. But he had about seven or eight captains in that dressing room. He had Teddy Scott there. He had actually knocked Pat Stan, you know, and himself. You know, well, I'm saying Pat and, and, and Archie because they were a major part as well. Pat never stayed too long. He got an opportunity to go back to Dunfermline and manage. Mm -hmm. And he took it and then we got Archie on board. And Archie was a big say in this. So, I mean, if there was any problems to get ironed out, they would get ironed out quick. You know what I mean? Whether the boss had something to get ironed out with, you know, or, or, or straightened up, him and Archie and, and Teddy would feed it through to the players and say, look, this is... I'm not happy with this situation, you know, or the boss would have a meeting. we get it sorted out. Everything would be sorted out at the beginning of the season, like bonuses and stuff like that, and appearances, you know. So, so as there's nothing to complain about, nothing to go on with, to, to distract you, we're here to win trophies, and that was it. So everything was clear, in fact, about everything. And it was, that was after his first initial year, but then after that, it took about a year, and we'd win the league. And then everything started taking off then, which I'm saying, it was, it was, it was unbelievable how early uh, the manager was successful apart from the League Cup defeat. Yeah. Which, which hurt us, you know, which really hurt us. And uh, he'd seen a lot of things there that people were just happy. Runners up, you know, and, and he seen, he says he, he made his mind up about a certain couple of players then. And I don't know who they were, but anyway, he made his mind up there because Celebrating getting deep, you know what I mean? Not celebrating, but having a time to carry on. Yeah. Whereas, you've got to be hurt after a cup final, which we were. But at the same time, we should have beat Pindy United, which what? we didn't. Or those Leeds or those Rangers, I think. Well, there were two of them. Two of them in the same year. Um, Rangers at Hamden, and then Dundee United at Dens Park, so. That's right, we played well. But we hammered Dundee United, not in each at Hamden, and we played it. And United by the way, check that night at Dens, so. We didn't ever like to stand on, we just didn't turn up that night, you know. So, they, we had to a bit, yeah. We took one medicine because Rangers had beaten the Scottish Cup final, that's a bit. And we were left with runners up in the league with Rangers. And then we get beat for Rangers, Dundee uh, United in the League Cup. So, we took a few drinks, not, not a few drinks, but a few disappointments. And we learned from that. And then we went on and we used that. To make sure that we weren't going to be runners up in the league or anything again, and we just became winners. Well, it is a bit of a cliche to say you learn more from defeats, but I think if you look at the narrative of that that side, absolutely, the, there are key defeats, and it's the fact that they haven't just been written off. Lessons have absolutely been learned. We lose that game to uh, to Rangers in the League Cup final under Ferguson. We don't lose a major cup final to Rangers again. We go to Glasgow and we win those games following that. League Cup final against Dundee United. Dundee United don't, after that, really get the better of us that often in major games. 
And of course, we'll come and speak about the Liverpool games. Your involvement is slightly different in those. But again, the lessons learned from that night against Liverpool in 1980. If we don't have that defeat, I think a lot of people can correctly argue we probably don't win in Gothenburg a couple of years later. Talk about taking my medicine and we did. Liverpool was phenomenal. I mean, I had a bad, I had a, I got a bad injury then. And we all know how it was and how it went about. The bottom line is, uh, went down to Irvine and got spanked 4-1. And it could have been more. It could have been more at the pathology. And we thought, oh, once we started winning the league, we thought we'd bring them on. And we'd beat Austria-Vienna, which was a terrific win. Yeah. You know, 1-0 aggregate, you know, over at Tractor Stadium. And, and, you know, winning, you know, so what a skill that was. And then we were like, oh, oh, bring on Liverpool and we did. And they ended up... You know, they just, they learned a lot there. You know, we took one medicine, went on with it. A couple of years after that, a couple of German teams gave us a few wounds as well. And we took one medicine, learned from it. Then with the Ipswich scenario, and then we started with a cup win as well. So, yeah, we, when you look at it, we learned, we learned big time not to let that happen again. To a man, not just the manager, the coach, the players, they were hurting big thing because Europe was a, was a big apple you know and you wanted to do well in Europe and that's what you can notice and we've all been injured and we've all had bad injuries and uh, we've all dealt with them and the good thing about it was is, uh, the caring side of Fairgate at that time when these players was injured and they were out for a length of time I was out for about nine months to a year the way he went about looking after my wife and my kids and myself and asking and keeping the head up and getting us involved in the football and you know it's fantastic. A lot. It's a side that you don't see for Fergie. That's mm-hmm. not the same, you know. Everybody's got this image of it. two guys screaming and shouting and bawling. It's not about that at all, you know. They'll let you know when you're not happy with them. <laughs> you know, but in-house, they'll let you know, you know, because we know how far you can go. And the manager knows how far you can go as well. And he sets standards. And if you drop below them, you'll get it done. And that's what happened. The Liverpool game for me put me back because it was that time I was striving to have a Scottish cap. Yeah. And uh, that's my biggest regret. You know, and that's my only regret is not getting a Scottish cap. Because I've seen Gordon, Stuart, Alec, Dingus, Willie, everyone. <laughs> and Jim Lane, he's big, lovely, selfish Scotland caps and that. And I was jealous. You know, I was totally jealous. I said, wow, that's brilliant. Imagine, imagine if I could get one of them. I was, I was a hair's breadth off it because it wasn't until a couple of years ago I was down seeing the boss. A couple of friends of mine, and he says to me, he was unlucky. He says on the Tuesday, Jock Steen was up for the game for the Liverpool game for the Wednesday. He was going to include me in the Scotland squad. And he says to Alec, he says, well, I, I'll include, well, I'll go and tell John. He says, no. He says, oof. She says, no, don't tell him at all. Tell him, tell him after again, I'm all right, talk. <laughs> I was going to get told, I was going to get called up for Scotland squad, so. But listen, I've had mere highs, and, and that was, that was one, that was the biggest low. But, what will people be? And I was involved in, I would say, 95% of all the trophies. 90% of the trophies, you know what I mean? So, you know, it was brilliant the way he handled my injury. And the way he handled other people's injuries as well. It wasn't just a matter of rushing them back. It was just a matter of, look, we'll get you back. 
And they believed in it. And they still wanted you in the squad. They still wanted you there. And you were still a part of the Aberdeen. So he was great at that, so he was. And there's another example of that a couple of years later on in your Aberdeen career, which we'll come to in a minute. But I, I want to spend a bit more time on that league triumph in 1979-80 because I often think that with what came after it, it's often overlooked. But it was a hell of an achievement. First time in 25 years, obviously, there'd been a non-old firm winner. We were so, so far back and so out of any conceivable title race in, well, March even. But at what point did the dressing room think, you know what, this is on? Well, when we started beating Celtic and Rangers in Glasgow, that's when we started taking a look at things. And that's when it was the penny drop between the boss and us. He believed in us. He believed in us going down the parkhead. He believed in the psychology of the press and all, all of the actual fans down there and how to, how to get around it and how to use it. And the, the, the likes of the chairman of Celtic coming in at 10 to 3 and saying we'll need to delay the kick-off for 10 minutes. He's preempted that to us. He's, he's looked at everything that could possibly happen that day when we went down to Celtics and the Rangers because... They were always playing these games with ship stuff, you know. And he was a way ahead of them, and we were all prepared for that. We were waiting. Mr Kelly coming in and saying, Aye, we're all right, don't worry about it. The boys are just lying in the, in the bench, stretching it, you know, instead of learning to go. We, we simple things like that, you detail, brilliant. He was brilliant. And they made sure that any time the ball went out, you ran over and sprinted, just to sell money going with this game. Things like that, you tackled them quickly, and then you gave them a wee pat on the back and said, Sorry about it, and then you tackle them again. You know, <laughs> incredible. Getting on to the referee instead of one guy getting booked, you need to book five or six, as you know. We silly things like that. Nobody was going to take advantage of you. He was preempt, he was letting us know about all these wee things, you know, and you would, you would kind of learn these in training as well because you'd be getting each other in training, you know, and you know, everything was competitive. He was a winner and that was that. He just installed that winning mentality that we can get into the parking. We will not be noticed as a team until we start beating Rangers and Celtic. And we will not win trophies or leagues once we start beating Rangers and Celtic. And that's what happened. Well, that is what happened twice in the space of three weeks going down the parkhead and winning in April 1980. And it culminates at that uh, magical day at Easter Road um, on on the 3rd of Mar- uh, May, 1980. Uh, and again, can, are you able to distill that into a few words, John, the feelings you felt that day? Oh, that's... I'm still busting the pride. Talking about it. And the... The day couldn't be any better. <laughs> beautiful sunshine. And Easter Road was... <laughs> was a nightmare for Hibs because there was that many clubs won trophies there. <laughs> there. And uh, we were one. And I was back in that day with something, oh, Aberdeen was there, the same they were at the Cup Winner Cup. Everybody <laughs> knew, or everybody was seen after we won the league. Ah, it was the Easter Road. <laughs> Easter Road. So Aberdeen must have been empty that day. But, but the fans got a show. And what an entertaining game it was. It wasn't just a scrape. 5-0, demolition. Then later on, I played with Morton, and Jackie McNamara was the assistant manager with Alan McGraw. And he says, and you know my nickname, Sparma, right? He says, Sparma, he says, he's an unbelievable idea. He says, you know what, I know something. 
we were on double bonus to beat you. So <laughs> he said, Jackie, you could have been on a thousand pound a week to beat us, and you would have been near us that day. We were electric. Unbelievable. Andy Watson scored a couple. Ian Scanlon, Stevie Archibald, oh, everybody. everybody. Mark McGee, you know, everybody. Everybody was on their, on their game. Near to feel that day. Because they knew. They sniffed, they sniffed, the, they sniffed being a winner. And it was a great feeling. It was a great feeling going up the road that night. And it was just so high, it was unbelievable. And then when we went to Partick Thistle, we Betty Hall was the manager. And it took Betty Hall his time to congratulate us. And him and Fergie, there was always a kind of rift between them. Not a rift, but a, a kind of respect, put it that way. And uh, they had to beat us about 14 man or something. Yes. But we drew one each. And uh, it was... So the next couple of years, we look in pole position to actually win the league again the following year, but we tail off. And then 81-82, it's an indifferent start. Obviously you've got the, the Ipswich game that season, and I know you missed um, a lot of the season before because of the injury we spoke about earlier. 81-82, you've got the Ipswich game at the start of that. League form's a little bit iffy, but towards the end of the season, we win some like nine league games in a row, and we get to the Scottish Cup final, where we meet Rangers at Hamden. Now, the week before, we turned Rangers over at Pataudry 4-0. And I don't remember which Rangers player said this, but I think there was, there was something along the lines of, oh, you won't beat us when it matters. Was it good to finally go there, go to Glasgow in a cup final, and do it? Yeah, yeah, because Rangers, them and Celtic, they dominated the Scottish Cups and the League Cups. And it was always unusual to see somebody with the old firm in the finals. And to get in, and the League Cup, the Scottish Cup then was a big, big trophy. And it still is. You're in the Cup Winners' Cup for it. But you don't want to be in it for the Winners' Cup and Rangers win the league. You want to be in it for the winners. And that's what he got over to us. We want to win this and be Cup winners. We don't want to be runners up and going into Europe. We want to do this ourselves. And we did. And we made sure we did. And you know though it was extra time, I believe. It was. And uh, we were stronger, fitter, and physically better as well. And we were prepared for Rangers after. We actually took a few drubbings from him away and a few defeats in, in finals. But the 4 0 game at Petaudry, I think, if I recall right, we were up 4 0 at half time. That's right, and we're still in, with a mathematical shout of the league as well. We were up 4 0 at half time, and John Gregg took off David Cooper. And seemingly the boss says to him, he says, why don't you do that? 
just because I didn't like that. Ah, right, hammer Nalik. <laughs> he just wanted to shore up his defence, and they took off David Cooper. And that's a story that I'd heard after. Gregory was just merely showing respect because he'd seen how scintillating they were that half. I mean, he, so that's how good they were. And nobody could touch us then. And we knew then, we knew then. And I think the Rangers players then as well knew, and I think they didn't want to face us, put it that way. But they had to come up with comments like that. The Gordon Smiths of this world and all them, you know. And mm. So, so uh, we are, we are the. Uh, we're going to the hand and we a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence in the back of being league champions and whatever, you know, and wanting to get back in amongst trophies again. And that was a, that was a kick-off again, you know, that was a start again, you know what I mean? Big Alec, he'd scored a cracking equaliser. Big McLeish sat that day, I think, was one of the, it was a World Cup ball. It certainly was. With a curler. And, and nobody knew how good Big Alec was on the deck, but we did. He knew the big man was capable of these things, and he played midfield a few times. And he come on, he he come up with a part and he got a ball, and I says, "Oh, no chance." <laughs> Next minute, it's curled in the top corner, and I've got a great picture of myself jumping up and down as if to as if to say, "That was my shot, Alec." <laughs> 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 he's a big man. And then see after that, we just oh, unbelievable. One of the best moments that day was when Neil Cooper went through on Big Peter McCoy and he kicked it against them, against the Rangers end. If you remember right, Richard? Yep. And it, re- it rebounded off on Neil Cooper. And he was clearing goal about 20 yards out and he took it right in deliberately to about a metre away from the line and then he just blasted it and put the air on Because he knew it was, the game was finished. And was, I think it was 4-1 or something. 4-1 eventually, an extra time. Yep, that was the fourth one. Uh, as uh, Dennis Law, I think, on the cool commentary that day said, every schoolboy's dream, empty goal at Hamden, scoring a cup final. And uh, you forget, I think, that Neil Cooper was only about 18 at that point as well. That was the youth, the youth and the energy in that side really, I think, did for Rangers on that day towards extra time. But obviously winning that Scottish Cup got us into the European Cup of this Cup, 82-83. The big games, Bayern Munich... What a shy, Real Madrid, we'll come to. But even getting into European football after Christmas was actually quite a big deal for us. So getting past Lech Poznan, for example, was actually quite a big deal. Oh, hey, the, the, the Albanian team, Tirana. Yeah. Wow, I mean, the Tiranas was, that was one of the biggest results that we've had that year. You know, I mean, it was only one nil. Wasn't it? Was it 1-0? One over the two legs, yeah. Each, it was nothing each. Over there. It was nothing each. I told you, and it was 1-0. And then, I mean, the country was so... And I think there was a queue in the country that, that year uh, regarding the king. Uh, it was a lot of turmoil in the, the actual square where we were staying. And, oh, it was a right third country as well, you know. And you had to take your own food and didn't drink anything. And the toilets was poor. But he made sure that we were up for it. And he, he spoke about the, the referees as well. Just don't get on the wrong side of the referees with Darth Tackling and messing, messing at the wrong time. And, and we got a goal and we get through that. What, what a difficult time that was. I don't think anybody really appreciated that at the time. And until you look back on the actual the cup run, 
you know, and then you do a Swiss team. Uh, we beat 12 1. Uh, who was that? Sion. 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 I mean, we're up about, I think, 8-0. At Patoja, I think we've won about 7-8-0 at Patoja. And then over to Zion, and, and we're just throwing a bit, and oh, it was the most relaxed atmosphere we've ever been in the cup. And again, and, well, I think we'd scored 3-4 quick goals, and it was a bit, I think it was 12-1 in Agri. I'm not sure, I think it was about 12-1 in Agri. We beat them over there 4-1. Most of the time, they were looking at the vineyards up and the, the actual, you know, <laughs> the churches and all that, all the monks' parties up in the hills and all that, surrounding areas of the, the actual park. It was, it was unbelievable, it was surreal. But, but we'd, we'd done the business. And then then we played the, the Germans in Bayern. And what, what, what a great uh, away game it was. It was the best I've ever seen had in the play that day. And it was the best I've ever seen him defending. The defending was out, outstanding mm-hmm. from start to finish. And it was a massive crowd as well. It was a massive stadium. The Germans, as usual, were cock a hoop. And the Dougie Bell absolutely terrorised them. The way he went about, you know, just picking the ball from midfield and running up the field. They could not control him. And they, they took him back to Petodre. And... And then oh, it was it down and out. It was like, and then then Fuggy then brought on a young man called John McMaster, um, and that yeah, changed the game. He made a, a tactical switch, <laughs> a tactical affair. Tactical switch was taking off Stuart Kennedy. Now, if you know Stuart Kennedy, Stuart Kennedy would disagree with you. He should never have took me off. He said, just to big Dougie off, <laughs> Johnny off, but that you let. You'd, you know what, you know, sure, you would, you would, you'd, you'd work all out. So anyway, it is that. Puts Big Dougie right back, puts me on Cooper at left back, and puts me on the left midfield, right? 2-1 down. And we, did, we got a free kick on the right hand side of the other pound. And uh, me and the wee man's done this before, worked on it relentlessly at training, tried it a couple of times in the league, Scotch Cup. You know, we come off a couple of times, but the, the best thing to come off was that night, because we were down 2-1. They were a decent team, great team. Very, very well-organised, typical German team, where they just hit you in the bread, the pace and power, and two stunning goals. But we managed to scrape ourselves in and it was 2-1, and we get the free kick. And everybody knows, apart from the Germans and the fans, what's happening. All the players know, Big Alex got it to a tee. We've all got it to a tee with the dummy run. And the wee bit of argument about it is if to say we've made a mess yet and the next minute we man delivers. And all you hear is a stud in the big man's head. And it's <laughs> to each. Wow, what a feeling. What a feeling that was, by the way. And oh, right, it's the time we get back to the, to the halfway line for the kick-off, we'd win the ball. And I'm now left side the South Stand and I can never get in the body away from Simi I think it was and I just had a diagonal one of them long diagonals that you do and uh, Eric Black's at the back post and the next minute Johnny Hewitt's coming and he's as an ass substitution Johnny Hewitt comes in and 3-2 we're in Wonderland it was the best feeling and it was the most electric atmosphere I've ever seen at Petodre that night 
what a winning games you've ever won before trust in one and the Fiona and the Germans they were like that they couldn't believe it they were, they were floored for the actual free kick and then every time they actually recovered for the free kick because they were still going through and normally they're not professional but oh, what, what a fight by that was that was one of the biggest ever you know I mean, obviously the footage from that game is iconic, but I think the one regret is that the TV cameras don't flick back to you to capture the quality of that ball to Eric Black, because they're still on Alex McLeish, haven't you? Because that is a hell of a ball from, and as you say, it's from about the halfway line that you place right in Eric Black's head for the uh, for the winner. That is a shame that that uh, the quality of that ball hasn't hasn't really been recorded for posterity. I'm annoyed at that. Because uh, I was waiting and getting put out because it was one of the best balls I've ever played in my life. <laughs> and it just, and it just didn't end. The boss putting it on without him making that decision. That doesn't happen. It's, it just shows you the mentality of him at the time. What he's thinking at 2 1. You know what I mean? He's unbelievable. How can I open these guys up? And all of a sudden it happens. And it happens with the two people that he's put on. Myself, Johnny Shirt. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how you look back on that and you say, well, that's, that's all that's going to happen if, if you get results like that. Most of the time, John Shirt did have an impact, you know, and he would do a bit of damage as well. And even when he was starting games, you knew what sort of player Johnny would do, but you'd always make you a goal. And the manager knew that. And that's how well he knew his, his players, and Archie as well. Well, another call we made, tactical call we made, was for the semi-final, for the first leg. He actually talked to you to give Doug Bell a game. Um, on balance, that was probably a, a reasonable call, um, I would say. <sighs> outstanding. Outstanding. I, would, I was on the bench, and every goal, I think Doug Bell was involved in every goal. The Belgians didn't know what had them. And I think the sport about three goals in about 12 minutes and every time my goal went in the first goal went in Archie knocks us in the dugout he says book of flights then the second one went in book of hotel the third one went in you kept on making a comment of making sure we were going to be in the final I mean I was and I wasn't being cocky it was just the way it was it was it was, oh, it was an argument then but Dougie Bell was up there going, just tell her that I didn't need that the, the one at the time that they terrorised the, the, the Germans that was a sort of that was a equivalent to it that he'd done with the Watershy and Watershy were a decent side and then with the return leg which was tragic because going over there won the 5-0 and we get beat 1-0 and Stuart gets injured and that's all I remember about that game Stuart yeah. getting injured and that was that was tragic for him it meant sure they missed it in the game, you know, and, and to this day, it's a big regret, you know, when, as I said to you earlier, you know, everybody's had injuries, how you deal with it, and uh, the guy was a top-class uh, person, proud of his, his fitness and levels, he does, and uh, for that to be taken away in one full swoop in football was a bit hard to take, and it left an opening for myself, and Big Doogie played right back, and I played left back, and I spoke to Stuart about that a lot because we always used to play cards together, me and Gordon and Alec used to play together, so we were tight in that group and we knew the situation. I mean, dad, you know, Stuart would have been fit, he'd have played, you know, and he knows that, but he recognises where I'm coming from because of the harm to me, they'd have done the same to me, and that's the way the team was, you know. And we're all for each other, 
and that was the only tragedy at the semi-final I felt. Well, Stuart, as you say, missed that game. Obviously, he um, he was given a place on the bench in Gothenburg. Yes. Duke Bell, however, also injured. Fergie's rationale was that Duke Bell would have uh, many more chances to reach European finals, which... Uh, who knows, if Faggy stuck around for a bit longer, it might have been the case. But yes, um, obviously it led to you having the opportunity to play at left-back that day. Had you played there much before the, the night in Gothenburg? Most days, I'd have an idea, but we don't have football brains in this. And you know how we manage games on and off the park. Hey, the boss was always on us about coaching and doing your badges and getting more interested in the game and understanding the game more. And we all kind of took that on board. In any position you played, Big Doogie was all over the place at one stage. Big Doogie was centre back, centre mid, you know, right back, left back, you know. Big Doogie was, as long as he performed, that's the way you seen it in New Jersey. But left back, it wasn't as if I was in my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. It was just that I thought I was a wee bit exposed because of my pace. And I was always a concern there. But you've got Willie there and you've got Jim and Big Alec. And you've also got Peter Wee in front of you. So you're well protected with Neil Cooper in midfield. So, when you look at it, you go over it soon. And once you go on the ball, you're more of a threat to them than what you are to yourself, if you know what I mean, the opponents, because of your use of the ball. But the, the actual the game, when Eco was the star man, and I think the boss was a wee bit concerned about me getting exploited by him, but I ended up, I'm not being cheeky here. Yeah, a, but I ended up also one of my best games for Aberdeen ever. And when I, when I look back, and watching the, the actual game, I, I don't think I gave the ball away a lot. I don't think I, I gave the ball away at all. And Peter Wee in front of us, I just kept giving Peter a ball and he just kept on going, beating, going at me. And that was the way it was. And Juanito scored with the penalty. But he was quiet the whole day. And all the boys had said that. He said, by the way, Spammer's got done your ripper. And that was that. That's the way they, they, they spoke about it. And, and I was quite proud about that as well, you know. So, it made me realise that well that's how much the value you know but you knew that anyway but it's nice to hear it from your teammates you know well the game itself has obviously been talked to death in a lot of ways but we've come out for 35 years on now can you actually believe what happened happened no no it's difficult it's difficult to take it all on board because and the reason why is it was a free kick at the very end a minute ago in the extra time and we were in this ball and I was next to Peter and all I heard him saying thank oh God please let us go by and I just zoomed by the post and that was you know that could have been a different outcome if you know what I mean but see to be honest with you we hammered them didn't we really oh, yeah. we, did. we hammered them over 90 minutes and we just couldn't finish them off and it was perfect Scottish weather <laughs> apart from Big Alex Puddle the past, but yes, yes, you know, which is you know, upsetting. But the big man says, It's not my fault, it was a puddle boss because <laughs> <laughs> the boss gave him pillars of it. And he says, Before he says, No, pass back, be careful, your pass back. He says, Big Jim's not the best in the, in the day. He says, But then the water, you know, all of a sudden, first he went bananas, you know, big alley. I was ready to go bananas and all, and all kind of calmed, and then he says, I'm my fault, there's a big punch. <laughs> so it was he, it's unbelievable. But anyway, it worked out well, and it was a great ending. Wow, fantastic. Wow. You'd expect in the aftermath that a, a lot of celebrations, but a lot, of, a lot of the players I've spoken to have spoken about it being just a feeling of, of exhaustion afterwards. How was it for you? 
Well, you know, you, you won the jump, regardless of how much you drank, <laughs> celebrated. And Jock Steen was a, a guest of the managers uh, to actually to, to calm the, the train staff down. Uh, and he'd done a magnificent stroke with Jock coming along as a guest of ours because we trained on the Tuesday at the stadium and Real Madrid was there with De Stefano and I think the boss was a wee bit concerned about us being overawed with De Stefano and pointing to him and all that so the next minute we're walking down on the park to go and train and the Real Madrid boy starts staring at Jock Steen and pointing him <laughs> so he's done the psychological stuff <laughs> and we're not bothered because everybody's just staring at Big Jock and De Stefano was there coaching his players so that was that was the first that was the first one I'd won the mentality thing you know and the Mr. Steen was he was at the reception with all the directors and all the all the managers and all the, all the players and the coaches and the wives and that you know and the, and the staff and it was a fantastic night you know it was like a new year in Gothenburg and I don't think I can remember everything about it but I wasn't I wasn't drunk I was mere uh, emotion you know and you wanted to remember everything that night and that was brilliant that was really really good you know my wife to be there as well and the other wives to be there and it's a great feeling you know and the, then the bus for the airport was for something else you know never forget it you know it's one of them things that's just in the back of your mind for the rest of your life great great, great times and just ten days later you were back at Hamden same 11 that had won in Gothenburg, to pick up another trophy. Um, I just wonder how that one was soured, however, by what the manager said after the game about Miller and McLeish having won that cup by themselves. Aye, well, I think it's a big regret now for him. You know, we were exhausted. And to go and beat Rangers again, 1-0, uh, which was a great result, you know, and they won two cups instead of one trophy and this is what he always says we're going to be a two trophy team we went from one trophy a year to two trophies and we've done it I think he's got big regrets regarding that because Archie had to go and have a work with him and it wasn't until later on or even the next day that he, he, came, he came and apologised to his at the hotel but the damage was done all the players were really raging they were getting big Alec and Wally stick about winning the cup and all that and we gave them a cup just to keep you know just, you know, they get slaughtered for that. <laughs> Which, we used it, we used it, but the, the two lads knew what we were coming for and everybody was coming for. And I think the boss knew then it just went too far. And to be, to be fair, you know, we did apologise, but the damage was done. And you couldn't recover the, the celebrations on it because we were back at St Andrews and that uh, was just a bit a damn squib, you know. That, that's another part of the man where he's... His, his levels uh, are not met and he feels as if uh, it wasn't good enough so but he's sometimes got to scrutinise himself or not you know Well it didn't really seem to impact the side too much in the following season because obviously they backed up that uh, cup winning double with the league and the cup in season 83-84 but for yourself John you seem to get a recurrence of a knee injury in season 83-84 and after a game against Celtic in October you only actually made another six starts in the next two and a half years. It was the injury against Liverpool. Obviously, we took a long time out of the game, but this was a much longer spell, and it seemed you were close to fitness a lot of times, but not quite getting there. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was an ankle injury. It was just a. Oh, it was the Again, 
which is normal for him. And we won 3-0. It was Hearts had lost the league that year as well. The following week, we were in the testimonial dinner and the Scottish Cup sitting there. Very proud man. It was, it was a brilliant night and a brilliant weekend as well, you know, so. But the Kerry Stadium shows out all the time, you know, because he's always thinking about the players all the time. And they... Uh, how you can improve them and how you can look after them. You know, and he's really, really good that way. So the following season, uh, your last match for the Dons was actually in that wee spell that Archie Knox had as caretaker manager once Fergie had left. It was a 5-0 win versus Clyde Bank in November 1986. After that, was it just a case of you not being able to convince the new manager of your fitness or had you just decided that it was time to move on? I think the new manager came in with a different the style of play and a different style of coaching different style of management difficult to actually to actually follow the boss you know and what he achieved but the manager that came in was, was, he done well he was quite successful in his own way but he was more of a cautious manager because he drew quite a lot of games and I, I just didn't find his plans and I, I think I knew it right away and had an opportunity to go down the, the Mortimer Forfer and the player, player, the player manager of Forfer or Beacon or they come down and join Alan McGraw at Aberdeen at Morton as a player and I, I said to the boss's advice he told me what to do he says look Morton's coming up to the Premiership go there and you get your coaching in as well John he says and he went ah you're the football side and I just took his advice and done it and the rest is almost 10 years at Morton and we've done really well with a couple of promotions and uh, getting young boys through and, and that was my remit you know with, with Alan McGraw which was really good at the time again you're looking for advice from the manager who was really looked after us in the 8 years he was there you know so so we still care about you and I, I probably still does I mean everywhere over print whatever you look there's a there's a fair good scout, there's a fair good assistant manager, there's a fair good manager that he's coached and looked after, you know, so incredible what a man's done to individuals and he uh, made them what they are, you know. And in your time at Morton, as Al McGraw's assistant, uh, one of the guys you brought through was a young, competitive midfielder who'd gone to pretty good things. Uh, what qualities did Derek McInnes bring into the, onto the park? And was it any surprise to see him excel as a manager further down the line? No, Eric was always, he wanted to know things, he wanted to ask you things, he, what are we doing this for, he, how, how did you do that again, what should I do if I get caught in the ball, and, you know, and I was hard on him because I was a midfielder myself, and I used to always try and get him, and they wanted to touch stuff, and Derek used to tend to run me, and, you know, but he, he's, he, he learned quick, he, he was in our team at 15, he, not, not the first team, but he was in our reserves, and it was by accident because Derek had actually one of the young boys that was on the YTS staff that I was training came up to me Chris Buckham's his name and he's a friend of Derek's from Paisley and he says is it alright my mate comes in to train with us and I says aye he says we are quite open to it and now my daughter says aye bring him in he says not a problem I didn't hear him within five minutes I knew he was better he was way ahead of the boys that I had and then within a year he's in the reserves and within two or three years he's captain of the first team so he was always a leader he always a strong strong willed sort of guy you can rely on him and he's uh, he's done the business at Aberdeen and he's done the business at St Johnston and he's very strong minded 
it was a good thing, you know. And a good place now, Aberdeen stabilised the club and he's got the city waking up again, you know, after a, a ten year stint where we were getting beat for everyone. He's okay. He's young safe fans for Derek. <laughs> Now, one of the things you're, you're, you're doing currently, John, is uh, a lot of scouting work for Swansea. Now, they're a club who've signed a lot of young Scots, presumably on, on your recommendation, and quite a lot of them via Falkirk. Uh, the, the importance of a, of a good youth system was key during Fergie's time, and it's still key now, isn't it? It had that, it's in London. It had the East Island. It had the Aberdeen. So it's small, small, by, by all a coincidence, it's hard, but it He's went and introduced the training satellite camps down in Glasgow, in Inverness, in Perth, in Ayr, in Dundee, and he's telling people he's putting, he's putting a market there, saying, look, you try to get the best players they can here, and he's attracted a lot of players, and this is when he was at Aberdeen. So he's took that model everywhere he's been, and he's been a damn success at it. This just doesn't happen overnight. This happens over five, ten years. You know, I mean, uh, here's, here's the first Scottish Cup winners we win against Rangers. Me, Gordon, Alec, McLeish, and uh, Stuart Kennedy's playing cards. And then back of the bus, you get Bang Gun, Eric Blacks, uh, Neil Cooper, John Shute, and uh, Neil Simpson with the Scottish Cup in their heads. And they're all 17. <laughs> so it's, that tells you everything about the way he went about structuring my club. And this is this is something similar to what I'm doing with the leadership style that you do. Instead of being in politics or military or religion or music, they've never really had leadership in sport. All married into a business side of things. Richard and uh, two friends of mine who work for the RTL route to employment uh, have actually asked me to is it okay we, we quiz you in certain things and we, we, brought, we brought up this kind of style of uh, leadership talk that we're going in there's a couple of things happening up in Aberdeen but we're, we're trying to get it out more local as well and uh, I've actually quite enjoyed it they've been they've took quite a lot of information more about the boss and how we went about things for getting the foundations right for getting the right people in the coaches in the right players the boardroom being good, you know, and the debt, and, you know, no debt from the chairman, you know, so he worried about and looking after the tea ladies and the groomsmen, the maintenance men, oh, you name it, everybody was a family there. And it's been very, very good the last couple of years, and we're trying to now get out there and do our leadership style on my team, on, on the bus, and how we went about things at Aberdeen. And, it's fascinating and it's really, really good, you know, and I've enjoyed doing it. And, and I'm not an after-dinner speaker, but I can talk and talk and talk about the boss for years on end, the way he went about looking after people and their families uh, during the time that the players was there, you know. Yeah, so these, John, these are like seminars, basically, which try to take some of the leadership lessons, which, which you saw firsthand, uh, practiced by Alex Ferguson, and adapting them for use in the workplace, and that doesn't have to be a sporting environment, although I know recently you did uh, this course for a lot of the Fourth Valley football coaches, okay. but you can also adapt it for, for any workplace, I guess, yeah? Yeah, it's for any business type of uh, people who can see it, and it's not, it's not about sport, but it's 
I mean, you know, mm-hmm. one of the top leaders in the last 30 years, 40 years in our business, which is brilliant now. Uh, the football industry, and it's a big business, and Fairview is prominent in all of that from day one with the making Man United a, a, a global impact in business as well as uh, sport and won the trophies. John, that uh, seems like a really interesting project. And as I say, I, I know that Alex Ferguson himself has been involved in some leadership courses at Harvard, um, and he came out with a book a few years ago called Leadership, obviously. So, so it's something which he obviously believes that you can apply the lessons which he uh, used in a dressing room to other uh, workplaces as well. Well, John, you've given us a lot today as well, um, and certainly if anyone wants to, to hear John speak in these sessions, you can hear just in the hour and a half we've had, how well he speaks about his time with Alex Ferguson and uh, his time at Aberdeen in full. So, John, once again, thank you very much for joining us today. Richard, it's been a pleasure. It was a real honour to watch you. Uh, that left foot, what boy could you do stuff with that left foot? That's nice to hear the thoughts like that coming from the, the uh, actual supporters and the... They valued as well, and uh, my, my three boys are Aberdonians, so the time I had up there was fantastic, so I've got a great affection for the, the Aberdeen people. John, thanks again. Right, thank you, Richard. Take care. So if you want to find out more about those leadership seminars that uh, John discusses, take a look at www.routetoemployment.com. Now on there you'll find some further information and contact details for the people who are running those courses. Our huge thanks to John for his time and our obvious congratulations to him on being selected for the Don's Hall of Fame. An overdue selection, I'm sure you'd agree. Now please join us next time on the By The Minute Aberdeen podcast or of course you can check out some of the other interviews that we have in our back catalog.